So we're thinking about uh, uncaging the lion. We have three uh, speakers this morning. Uh, Lindsay Holly is the executive director for Europe for Biblica. Catherine Little is the general secretary of the Bible Society for Northern Ireland. And Ricky Ferguson is the Northern Ireland field director for Wycliffe Bible Society, responsible for church engagement. So we've got a lot of experience and wisdom to hear from over the next uh, hour or so. We're going to read a brief portion of Scripture, and then I'm going to pray for them and for us, and then we'll get into things. So let's take a moment to pray together. Reading some verses from Psalm 19 as we, as we pray. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey from the honeycomb. And by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me, and then I will be blameless and innocent of great transgression. And this is our prayer. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Thank you, Gordon. Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, it's great to be here. Let me just move us back a wee bit. Thank you. Bang, bang, bang was the sound of the of the castle do- on the castle door of Wittenberg Castle Church on the thirty first of October, fifteen seventeen. As as the Augustinian monk. Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door of the castle church. Few would have thought that this sound would be heard not just in the streets of Wittenberg, but right across Europe and right across the world. What started off as one, one monk's protest against the Pope's attempted seal of salvation turned out to be the catalyst that began what we now know as the Protestant Reformation. In Luther's own words, his protest was not uh, aimed at spite, but was out of a love for the truth and a desire to make it plain. It was through this stu- his study of the scriptures which, ma- which gave him this love for the truth and desire to communicate it clearly, which led him to try to reform the church. The main areas that, that Luther disagreed with was the church's seal of indulgences, which were a certificate to lessen your loved one's time 
in purgatory, supposedly. And also, he disagreed with the, uh, disagreed with the church's stance of tradition being more important than scripture. He believed that scripture was more important than tradition, church tradition. And he also believed that the means by which someone was made righteous beside of God was by faith alone. It was while Luther was preparing scriptures, um, was preparing lectures for the local university on the book of Romans, that the words of Paul from Romans 1.17 struck Luther very forcibly. The righteous will live by faith, by faith. He realized that we were made righteous by grace alone, through faith alone, and later testifies to being born again through a true understanding of Paul's words. Luther's rediscovery of this truth of salvation by faith alone, through grace alone, sparked the worldwide uh, reformation across Europe. This brought Luther, obviously, into direct uh, confrontation with the church authorities and led him to be excommunicated in 1520. He was called to appear to a court uh, called now famously the Duet of Worms, Worms. Uh, and he was asked to recant his views. And he famously said, My conscience is held captive to the word of God. Therefore, Thus I cannot and I will not recant, for going against conscience is neither safe nor salutary. I can do no other. Here I stand. God help me. Amen. This statement shows us the high regard that Luther had for God's word, and that was more important than anything else. After the date of Worms, Luther was taken captive by a local prince called Frederick the Wise of Saxony for his own safety. And it was while in hiding that Martin Luther spent his time, devoted his time to translating the scriptures into everyday, Germany, or everyday German so that ordinary people could understand the Bible for themselves without having to have a university education. There was a couple of German language Bibles in existence but they were, they were only available to the high, highly educated and elite of society. There was no Bible available for the, for the common, normal, uh, everyday German people. And this deeply troubled Luther. He said, if only this one book were available in every language, in every hand, before every eyes, for the eyes and in the ears and in the hearts of all men. Martin Luther was so convicted by this need uh, of scripture for the German people that he devoted his time and made it his top priority and ultimately risked his life to translate the Bible into German. That's why he spent all those long hours, days, weeks and months and years rendering the original biblical languages of Greek and Hebrew into everyday German. He checked, the accuracy, he checked for accuracy along with, with some of his friends and scholars who were of the same mind. And when Luther, Luther's Bible was finally translated and printed uh, by Gutenberg's new printing technology, hundreds of thousands of people uh, bought uh, these new Bibles. Therefore, millions of people were being able to read for themselves the Bible that they truly understood.
this was a hugely influential uh, translation and sparked uh, other translations into local languages, uh, namely William Tyndale's uh, English Bible and the King James Version. These paved the way for many more people to have access and be transformed, most importantly, by the power of God's Word. In the 19th century, the great preacher Charles Spurgeon, while speaking about how he thought the church should respond to criticism of Scripture, said these words, The Word of God is like a lion. You don't have to defend it, uncage it, and let it defend itself. The Word of God is like a lion. You don't need to defend it, open the cage, and let it defend itself. Is God's word caged today, not necessarily by people wishing to defend it, but because it's not available to people? Is the cage, is the Bible caged by the bars of language and cultural culture and social stigma, restricted from transforming lives? But maybe some of you are asking, but surely everyone has a Bible in their own language by now. Come on, it's the 21st century. I'd like to hand over to Catherine, who's going to take us a wee bit further. Good morning, everyone. I hope you can hear me okay. Um, we probably need to be a bit closer. It's great to be with you. Um, as Ricky said, that was 500 years ago that Luther was doing his thing. 500 today in the 21st century. Surely everyone has a Bible in their own language. Well, shockingly, not so. Uh, There are about... This is the sort of scripture access information that we talk about uh, through uh, Bible societies and United Bible Societies. And you'll see there that of all the languages in the world... There are about 7,000 languages in the world and less than 10% of those languages have a complete Bible available in that language, in their heart language. Less than 10% of the world's languages have a complete Bible in their language. You'll see there that lots of languages may have access to uh, a New Testament or to other portions, but you'll see that there's still a vast majority of languages that do not have a complete Bible available. Now, when you translate this into how many speakers there are, you'll see that the majority of people can read those 648 Bibles. So 5.1 billion people in the world can access those full Bibles. But you'll see from the small red part now, there are still over 250 million people in the world that have no access to scripture in a language that is their heart language, in a language that they can understand. Now, within United Bible Societies, we do believe that this can be addressed within my lifetime. We think that by 2033, this could be addressed, that the need, because that's what we're talking about, it's the need. So who needs scripture available in in a language that they can understand? So by 2033, which isn't that far away, but will our job be done? 
If there's Bibles in every language that people can understand, if that 253 million people can now have a Bible or scripture in their own languages, will our job be done? The reality is there is so much more work to be done to help people engage with the Bible, to help people interact with the Bible, and to help people understand the Bible. One way in which Bible societies all over the world are helping with this is through literacy work, where Bible societies are providing tools to help people learn to read and write in their heart language using the Bible text. That happens in our country as well with people who come here to learn English and they, in churches, will often use Bible texts for that. But let me play you a little video which sort of sums up some of the work that's happening around the world. The Bible is God's book that we'd like everyone to read, but not everyone can. Over a billion people can't read or write. Most of them are adults. Just being able to read a label, fill out a form, or follow a guidebook would give them the start they need for a better future. Bible societies working in global fellowship have run literacy projects across the world. Our Bible-based literacy materials also show people their value in God's eyes, so they're better equipped to deal with trauma, HIV AIDS, domestic violence, and ethnic tension. This means change, not just for individuals, but for families and whole communities. We can't reach everyone all at once, but we've made a good start. With your support, we can continue to help vulnerable people break the awful cycle of illiteracy and poverty. Please contact your local Bible Society to donate today. Apologies for the accent and the fact that that's a corporate global thing, but I think it gets its point across. Even if the Bible is available in all of those languages, that doesn't mean that everyone will be able to understand it. It doesn't mean that everyone will be able to engage in a way that we often take for granted in our country. Honestly, there are so many stories that I could tell you. I could take up, and I think Lindsay and Ricky would agree with me, we could all take up an hour and t talk quite happily about our organisations, but we're being quite deliberate and working together and, and sharing together about what we do together to reach God's word, reach God's world with God's word. So this morning I've decided to share with you a little about um, a trip that I made a few weeks ago to Cambodia. Um, I was there en route to another event and I don't know if anyone has been to Cambodia, what anyone knows about Cambodia, but it's a country of contrasts. It's a country where uh, rural and urban life is very different. It's a country where the old and the young have very different expectations of what to expect. In that country, over 60% of the population are under 25 over 60% of the population are under 25. Some of you may remember um, back in the late 70s and the stories of the Khmer Rouge and what happened in Cambodia. And that has had a huge knock-on effect right until this day. Some of the people that I met when I was there grew up in concentration camps, grew up in refugee camps in different countries, and now they're back in Cambodia and working for the Khmer people to help them engage with the Bible. 
many of the people are, as I say, very young and literacy levels are very high. This is a picture of a rural literacy class. It was literally in the middle of the forest. It was about an hour away from a town called Badambong, which is out in the provinces of Cambodia. This is about four or five hours away from Phnom Penh. These children all gathered from all different arts and parts. It was a day where I was there in rainy season. It was a really heavy day. There was thunder in the air. These children all had cycled, their bikes were all left behind, and they were all sitting in underneath this house. Um, houses in Cambodia tend to have the bottom layer free as a flood protection as well as storage, and then they can host literacy classes under their houses as well. So you'll see all the children are there, and it's not just children, it's adults as well. How these literacy classes work is that they all follow using a proclaimer, which is a solar-powered radio where there's a memory card put in that the Bible Society provide. And then uh, each individual student has their own workbook, which they work through and they listen and they repeat and they're learning to read and write. Often school classes are really large and if you're left behind, you're really left behind. So children and adults will come along to these literacy classes provided by the Bible Society in parts all over Cambodia to learn to read and write Khmer, but also to learn more about the Bible and to read and learn and understand Bible stories, perhaps for the first time. This little girl on the right is called Vishera. She's eight and she's been coming along to this class for about two months. The thing that excited her most was that she had her own copy of the book. She didn't have to share it with anybody else. It was her own copy. And that was a really prized possession. You can see her there holding on to it. So she's been coming along for two months. And already the leaders in that group are saying they can see a real difference in her. She wants to be a teacher. She lives in a really rural part of Cambodia where most people work in the fields. And if they don't work in the fields, then they've maybe moved to Thailand to find work. As I talked to Vishera through a translator, because I don't have, Khmer's not even near where I could speak. Uh, but what I was struck by was this overall ambition that she had. But yet I was wondering, how does this translate into... How, how does this work for you if you don't have the opportunity for education? This lady is called Keo Seng. She's in her 50s and she's also attending this literacy class. She's sitting there with children who are much, much younger than her. She told me that back in the early 80s, she learned to be able to write her name and to recognise her name. And that was all she had time for. She had a family. She was working on the farm. She didn't have time for anything else. But now she's making a decision to try and learn to read and write. And she's delighted that the Bible Society are there in her little part of Cambodia to help them learn to read and write. She, uh, again, like Vishera, is learning about Bible stories that she has heard before. But now she can read it for herself and she can understand it for herself. I met church leaders 
who uh, led congregations and led church groups where there's five or six Bibles for the whole church. The need is great. The picture on the right, uh, the lady on the left in that picture is called Tita. She works for Bible Society Cambodia, and that is the church pastor on the right. And he has a vast area to cover as part of his church area. But he is really keen that not only do his people know the Bible and know Jesus and know about God and know about his saving grace, but they also learn to read and write because that's a skill that they will take with them. When I was there, I, I took plenty of selfies, as you can imagine. So this is a selfie with another literacy group. Um, they met in a, this Baptist church behind them, and they all came out to the front, and they were all a bit taken. as so what, what, what's she doing there? Um, I have to say, I have never been somewhere where I felt so in the minority before. I've never been somewhere where I've been the only white person before, and I'm very white compared to them. That top doesn't help, though. Uh, these children are all gathering together because they want to learn to read and write. That's really important to them. They also want to learn and to read and understand the Bible more. Many of these children are living with their grandparents because their parents are now working somewhere else so that they can find work. I want to finish my section with a very well-known verse. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. It's probably a verse that we all know off by heart. It's from Psalm 119. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. We all know the hope that we carry because of the Bible. And three Bible societies in countries all over the world, they are sharing that hope. That hope will shed light. We look to the Bible for our future. We look to the Bible for inspiration and that sheds light onto the future. We read this and we hope that God will open up. What's the next step for us? But think about that if you can't uh, read it for yourself. If someone else is holding the torch. If you've been walking along and you've been with someone holding a torch and you're walking along with them, it's really difficult sometimes because they might go, oh, what's that over there? And you can't see anymore. Holding your own torch is really important when it's really dark. Being able to read the Bible for yourself because you've learned to read and because you now understand it for yourself is really important. To uncage this lion that we're talking about this morning, we need to help people to learn to read and write in their heart language so that they can understand the Bible in their heart language. I'm going to pass over to Lindsay now. Sorry, this is where we all have to adjust the mic to work. Thanks, Catherine. As Catherine has shown, there is still great need for Bible translation work around the world, and not just in the remote places. Language is alive, it evolves over time, and this presents yet another challenge for Bible translators, especially for the larger, faster-moving uh, languages. The job is never done. 
could you just put your hand up if you use a William Tyndale or a, um, a John Wycliffe Bible as your main go-to reading Bible? Unsurprisingly, no one here uses that. Why? Because English has changed dramatically since those were both produced. Um, I don't know, for those who can actually see the screen, which isn't everyone, I apologise. Can anyone tell me what is written there? Where it's from, what it is, what the words actually say? Okay, we're struggling slightly. Does this help at all? Anyone got an idea of where it's from? Okay, I'm really glad because I wouldn't have done either. This is actually a sample um, of uh, Geoffrey Chaucer's work in um, the Canterbury Tales. Um, and Geoffrey Chaucer is often given the title as the father of modern English. But I think you'll see from the first um, slide there that there's modern and modern. And yet there are countries throughout the world, including in Europe, that because they have something, often a translation produced after the Reformation with very few um, revisions since, they're expected to consider themselves lucky. And yet, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't fancy doing youth work or outreach or even my own personal study using only an original 1611 KJV. And yet the translation was an incredible achievement at its time and groundbreakingly modern. Language isn't the only factor that can impede someone's access. We've already looked at uh, people with illiteracy, but even beyond that, for millions in the UK and even more worldwide, intellectual disabilities and visual impairments mean that regular Bibles are virtually useless to them. They might as well be in another language. Cultural barriers also present a problem for many, whether it be representing or presenting the Bible in a way that avoids unnecessary offense to other religions or cultures, or be it the challenges we're more familiar with here, proving relevance and trustworthiness before any skeptic will actually open the Bible. But even amongst Christians in countries where there are multiple editions available and multiple formats, there seems to have been a decline in Bible engagement. Many commentators have described a, a, a kind of apathy and complacency sweeping through our churches. And yet, most evangelicals still claim the Bible as central to our faith. So you may be wondering that despite the efforts of organizations like ours, is the picture still pretty bleak? Do we need another reformation? Well, personally, I believe there have been many waves and resurgences of reformation principles over the last 500 years. Godly men and women encouraging us back to the Bible, speaking prophetically against our inclination to, to move away from such priorities not dissimilar to the rather up and down role the church has played in fighting poverty and injustice, there will always be more to be done. And there are times we've taken the foot off the pedal and times we've just got it plain wrong. But right now, I see signs of hope. 
I believe we're already on the crest of a new wave when it comes to making God's word accessible to all and re-engaging with the text in healthy ways. So for my remaining time, I just want to quickly highlight some of those signs of hope and look at where each of us fit into the story. It's true, there are still a lot of languages, as Catherine showed with her, her graph, still to tackle. But in addition to what Catherine has shared and, and also highlighted, she and Ricky and I could all stand for over an hour talking about the translation projects we've recently seen completed and how this newfound access to God's word is changing lives in very diverse settings from Uganda to Serbia, from Iraq to India. Check out our Facebook pages to see some of the stories of these uh, lives being changed by new translations. I've also had the privilege of, see of seeing and being part of pioneering work being carried out right here in the UK that is breaking down other barriers. Over the past three years, Biblica have worked with Prospects, Torch Trust and Urban Saints to create an accessible Bible for people with learning and visual disabilities. And in May, we published the NIRV Accessible Edition New Testament in print, audio and digital format. The feedback so far has been mind-blowing. Reading about grown men and women who are now able to read the Bible by themselves for the first time ever in their Christian walk humbles me no end. How did it take us this long to give them something they can read? Thankfully, this is only the beginning. Plans on how to extend the project are growing rapidly. I heard just last week that our Latin American team are now going to produce editions of this using our simplified NIV in Spanish and Portuguese. Age-appropriate presentations of scripture are also vital. Most children's Bibles seem to jump from children's storybook Bibles up to Bibles that look very like adult Bibles, just with cool covers and some additional youth-relevant material added. And I don't know about you, but I have three boys at home. The older two are 10 and 9. They're not avid readers. And if I give them a Bible with tiny font, two columns, numbers in the middle of the text, it's alien to them. They struggle being given uh, a Michael Mopurgo or Roald Dahl book and being told that this is something they should read. So being given them an, a traditionally formatted presentation of scripture just seems like a whole lot of hard work to them. So we've been working with Scripture Union over the last couple of years to again produce a format of scripture that is relevant to the sort of 8 to 12 age group that is straight text from the Bible, nothing's been paraphrased or added, but presented in a format that they're familiar with. And very soon, later this year, um, we'll be presenting Dear Theo, which will be uh, Luke and Acts uh, using the NIRV text with some really cool illustrations, very like Diary of a Wimpy Kid. Um, and the feedback we've had from youth specialist agencies and churches already is, when can we get it? And I was shocked by that. I presumed there was something out there, but there wasn't. Um, so this pioneering work to, to meet uh, other barriers is just ongoing. 
And there are some barriers out there that I presumed were insurmountable. But working around the world with some fantastic partners, I've got to see some of these barriers also breaking down. One partner in Chicago Streetlights are developing an urban audio Bible, making God's word accessible in a very different cultural context. Former South Chicago gang members and if you're not familiar with South Chicago, these are some of the most dangerous and violent gangs in the world, um, are having their lives transformed by being able to engage with the Bible through this project. But the spoken word, street music style of the audio appeals to a much wider audience, even if it's not your thing, uh, beyond the gangs. And it's immersing young people in God's word in a dynamic way. When we make the Bible more accessible, lives change. We need to keep reminding ourselves of this. The entirety of my work is focused on making the Bible more accessible and helping people engage with it. But even I find it easy to go into autopilot and I forget why I'm doing what I'm doing. I forget the power God's word has to transform hearts and minds. Why? Because there are times when I'm not allowing it to change me. Times I become complacent and distracted. Times I fail to prioritize good Bible engagement in my own life. It isn't someone else's problem, it's mine. And for many of you, it will be yours too. Research, sorry, this, there we go. Research suggests that church leaders in the UK are struggling just as much. Many only open the Bible to prepare for the sermon they've got to give that weekend. And yet, the Bible is the amazing story of God and his people. At its heart is the mighty rescue mission to reconcile mankind with himself. No matter where or when we live, what language we speak, what literacy level we have. Ultimately, mission is at the heart of the Bible and the Bible needs to be at the heart of mission. But we are not going to develop God's heart if we're not reading God's word. We won't be part of the solution to end Bible poverty if we don't value our own access and the transforming power it can have. Any passion you currently have for Bible translation or Bible engagement, it will fade or become a purely intellectual pursuit if you aren't finding that passion in your own relationship with the Bible. And if you came here today wanting to be inspired to develop a passion for supporting greater access, I hope the statistics and the stories we've shared have lit some embers, but it will be developing a genuine appreciation for your own Bible access that will really get the fire going. But how, you ask? Well, first we start with simply reading it, feasting on its words, immersing ourselves in its story. You may have heard the Bible likened to a telescope. We've already heard uh, lion and lamp as analogies. Now we're going to look at a telescope. Um, 
if you just look at a telescope, you see a telescope. But if you look through it, whole worlds open up to us. If we just look at the Bible, it does nothing for us. We see just a dead letter. Instead, we really need to look through it to see that which is beyond. If I'm honest, sometimes helping Christians who already have good access to the Bible regain a passion for it can seem like the harder part of my job. But I do see hope here too. The pioneering work in digital and audio formats shouldn't be limited to those who can't read or those who live amongst gangs. Listening to scripture rather than reading it is not less than. Sometimes it can be more than. For thousands of years, scripture was taught and understood in primarily oral cultures, and yet it prevailed. There are some fantastic resources like, oops, sorry, that was the thing for the streetlights. Um, and there's the telescope. You can tell I'm using my PowerPoint. Um, some fantastic resources like the David Suchet audio, which is a firm favorite of mine when I'm commuting to work and the drive up here today. Um, the Mark drama, where is a church you commit to learning the story of Mark and acting it out in a community setting. Um, and the Lumo Project, which is taking the Bible and putting it into a dramatic um, digital presentation, which, as you can see, is now on Netflix. Um, but these, these resources allow us to hear, see, and actually take part in the Bible narrative, bringing to life, sorry, bringing to life aspects that we can miss by reading alone. Limiting ourselves to sporadic, if we're honest, private readings that focus on just a few verses can actually be part of the problem. Instead, reading big, reading whole books and literary units unencumbered by artificial formatting and reading in community can totally change the way that we see and apply the Bible. And since the inception of Community Bible Experience and the books of the Bible formatting in the NIV nearly a decade ago, that's the, the current ones on the left there, and in, towards the end of this year, you'll see a whole new, uh, brand new presentation of Community Bible Experience coming, so look out for that. But all of this work over the last decade has led to multiple other reading bird, uh, Bibles emerging and you'll see here, some of you will be familiar with the Bibliotheca um, uh, work on, I can't think of the word, fundraising platform. But yeah, you know what I mean. Um, it was a, a big project. In the middle, we have Immerse, which is an NLT version. And on the right, uh, the ESV Reader's Bible. We can see a movement of change here. And the McNuggets... Little verses here and there, approach to reading, is on the ropes, and that is great. If you want to know more about some of these resources, things that Catherine and Ricky have talked about, some of these um, 
other resources do please come and talk to us afterwards we don't have time in one seminar session to to dig down into each of the different opportunities to get your church passionate about the bible again but between the three of us we can point you in the direction of some fantastic new work and resources um now i've only had time to touch on a couple of the barriers out there that still exist and some of the cool work that's going on to to meet those but what I'd be really interested in just as we bring this section um, to a close is hearing what other barriers you guys are seeing on the front line sometimes when I'm sat in my office I'm aware of some of them like having children um, I see what's going on there but you guys are on the front line you're in churches you're in small groups you're working in different environments it'd be great to hear what you see as some of the challenges affecting bible access whether it be language whether it be physical access whether it be culture whether it be formatting whatever it is we'd love to hear it and if you've just got a couple of minutes i'd advise you to talk to the person sitting next to you if you know them great if you don't even better opportunity to fellowship and just see if either of you have seen any of these challenges i'll give you two minutes and then we can shout back some of the ideas Thank you, the gentleman to my left, who I think I need to bring on board as an advocate for our accessible Bible, um, has just highlighted the ongoing problem with um, making sure that services are totally accessible to those with learning disabilities. Um, and he said he was pleased to hear um, about uh, the project with creating the accessible Bible because. Um, as we have found, and it was great to hear it again, the, the situation that most people find themselves in is just giving adults with learning disabilities children's Bibles, which really isn't great because one, they're not still not suitable, and two, it's not great for a dignity um, a perspective as well. These, you know, we are all God's creation and we all need to be created, uh, treated um, with such respect and have resources and access to God's word and church services um, that reflect that. And yes, it may be a small percentage in the great scheme of things, but actually it's a very, very significant um, percentage. And actually the secular world is leading the way on this and it should be us. Um, so thank you very much for that. And this, we know there's still more work to be done. This is purely the step, and I'll show you the Bible afterwards. <laughs> Anyone else? Absolutely. The comment there is about, um, for people with English as a second language, using um, archaic forms of uh, the language in our songs and Bible translations can be very uh, difficult and form another barrier uh, for people coming to English-speaking countries um, and so the importance of using language that they can um, access is really important as well. If there isn't anything else I think Ricky's going to come up, the only other one that I would throw in there and it's uh, one out there a lot is the millennials and um, uh, contrary to what you may believe by appearances, I actually don't fall into the millennials. I'm too old. Um, but it's, there's some really interesting work being done there around Bible access and whether you produce the Bible in a form they'll read or whether you actually challenge them 
um, into, but bring them into the bigger story, uh, which is something they're craving, the, the bigger narrative and community. But that is one that's work to be done.